Hello and welcome to the pod. I'm Nathan Fink. I'm Jolyn Drennan and this is New Hampshire Family Now. A show about building family in the Granite State. Today in the show, Jolyn discusses framing for positive conflict resolution and then takes me for a walk. And later, author, father, and nonprofit founder, Anthony Payton, puts us on the path to success and prosperity. New Hampshire Family Now is brought to you by the New Hampshire Charitable Foundation. Since 1962, the Charitable Foundation has worked hand-in-hand with generous and visionary citizens to maximize the power of giving and support, collaborate, and lead innovative initiatives. Initiatives like New Hampshire Tomorrow, which is focused on making sure children and families have access to education, health care, and career pathways to ensure every family member thrives. To learn more about New Hampshire Charitable Foundation and all their initiatives, go to www. .nhcf.org. This podcast was also brought to you by Family Support New Hampshire. Family Support New Hampshire is NH's coalition of family resource centers and family strengthening programs that exist to ensure Granite State families have access to resources so both caregivers and children can succeed because supported families are strong families. To find a family resource center near you, visit www.fsnh.org. Hey, it's Nathan, co-host of New Hampshire Family Now. I wanted to take a quick break from the show because it occurred to me the other day that I've never asked you to subscribe to this podcast. Subscribing is free, and when you do it, it helps our placement algorithms, making it that much easier for caregivers across New Hampshire to find valuable information and strategies for their families. Also, you'll be alerted when a new episode drops. And if you like the show, leaving a review helps us that much more. So go to wherever you get your podcast, type in New Hampshire Family Now, and as the kids say, smash that subscribe button. I say click it because if you smash it, then you're going to need a new one. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of New Hampshire Family Now, a show dedicated to digging up dirt on the family life of JoLynn Jurenin. Wait. JoLynn, welcome back. <laughs> Thank you. How's the family? Uh, what are you guys working on? Um, we're good. We are um, just back from vacation. So. And where were you? Uh, my in-laws that we haven't seen in two and a half years. Thank you, pandemic. All I can say is it sounds like had you trained for that marathon, you would have been fine because you would have made it back. <laughs> but you didn't train for that marathon. No, no, no. I, I, yeah, I failed. That's why I don't make resolutions. And how's your family doing? We're good. Um, so currently, I'm trying to teach my oldest son about like property and value by doing chores or picking up after himself. And so I'm trying to figure out you know, how to do that positively because so much of, of it is about negative consequence, you know? Don't do this. You won't have that. Yeah. What have you tried? I, I, keep, I, I can't escape this earning your keep mentality, right? Which mm-hmm. is like, you got to do this and then you'll get that. And then if you have that, you can do this, this and this, which is 100% transactional. Yeah. Because then it bleeds over to me, my mind in things like empathy. If, you know, I run over my brother and he is responding not to his brother's pain, but to trouble. You should try first and then. What does that mean? So that means, so if you want him to do something and he also, but he wants to do something else, you start the language is first this, then that. So first you brush your teeth, then you'll have a story. So you're both getting what you want and there's like the power dynamic isn't there. It's not like a, like a, if you want this outcome, you do this first. Right. 
what I am doing, and this is being reported back to me, this is why I think I'm thinking about it now, is he's starting to mirror that uh, type of framing with his friends. Like, if you don't play with me in a certain way, I won't be your friend. And that is what you're demonstrating, I guess, is I have the power to withhold. And here's you know, what you must do then. Yeah. So how is Wiley responding to that? He, I think he, we started that really when he was really, really young and it was, and that's not something I like came up on my own. That's, that is um, um, a tactic. It's part of parent management training and it works really well. So because it's, it, he responded because it was like, well, I want this thing, you know, and it was always like, I want to play with Legos, but it was time for, you know, school or clean up your room or do something like that. And so it's, it's a reward. It takes like, it's pot, it's a positive. Yeah. That if then does a lot of, I think what I'm after. Yeah. So, so it's like, yeah. So first and then, and then when, and, and things like the empathy thing, I was really, well, cause you know me, I'm very, you know, direct and cut and dry and mm. have been maybe referred to as aggressive before. That was actually me. I <laughs> But I had to be really intentional about how I reacted to things. So like instead of putting the upset first, like so if he does run over his brother and he sees you modeling, you know, like, oh, my gosh, are you OK? And like, you know, even if it's like over exaggerated, too, because he sees how you respond and then he'll eventually pick it up. Now, this is where you kind of look back on your parenting and go, oh, the, the many mistakes I've made, because one of the things, too, is we're we're not a, we're you know, we're trying to embrace our, our children's big feelings, you know, cry like there's a you know in when he had both of them fell when they were kids we were like oh my gosh what happened yeah not instead of rushing to empathy we were rushing to to let his state dictate his emotion right what i'm hearing you say though is now kind of are you okay creates empathy which we didn't do that we did oh my gosh how did that happen (laughs) do you see what i'm saying so i feel like i'm up a creek now no no you're not and that's like totally something that you just you just start like start doing just like saying that like oh are you okay i'm so sorry that happened to you and can i help using that kind of language but yeah i mean sometimes you know like wiley would fall and i'd be like what'd you do (laughs) <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> but, you know, and I, we never did it in a ne- negative space. It was more just like the, that, whoa, yeah. first, you know, and then he looks up to see that I'm not worried. Yep. Because fall happened. Yep. 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 But then I, you know, that's the, I think the thing where it makes me think, okay, so he sees fall and he's like, that dude's fine. Cause I've, you know, fallen harder yeah. and my dad doesn't do anything. <laughs> Oh, no. I think it's just like a little more. And it's a combination because you don't want them to fall apart every time, you know, so you have to like strike that balance. And it's, you know, I think I had a little bit of a um, I had I had a little bit of an edge because I had, you know, I had that parent management training with, you know, somebody taught me that. I love it. But I think the thing that all of a sudden, you know, because. And this is not me trying to make excuses. All of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my gosh, it really does take so much energy to be a a caregiver, because what happens now? Your well runs dry. There's all this intentionality that you have to have around. Here's my reaction. Here's my hope. How in the world do you deal with caregiver burnout so that you're more available? I think I think the key is like leaning into those protective factors, making sure that you have, you know, other people to support you when you're when you're stressed out, like maybe you just need a day. Mom, can you take the kids or, you know, a friend, neighbor, can you take, the, you know, can yeah. you watch my dog? Like yeah. make sure that you nurture your relationships so that you have 
supports and being being open to, you know, being open to feedback and comfortable asking for help and asking for advice and guidance. I think that's the main, you know, and, and I'm not like burnout proof at all. Yeah, I uh, I'm, I am glad you mentioned that, though, too, because the protective factors are they're so huge and we talk about it a lot. But, you know, April is coming up. It is. What are we doing? Quite a bit, actually. It all kind of comes back to how do we stand upon lessons learned and, and things that we did last year, which last year's campaign was framed around defining prevention and really what prevention is in human terms. Because a lot of the time, and I, I just noticed this in my own life, I know these factors well. And then the moment my stressors increase, I am not leaning on them the way I should. Hence this whole conversation. So last year was all about defining what it is in human terms, what you can do and all these things. And this year, what we're trying to do is create identification. So if we talk about protective factors as these concrete action steps you can do, like you said, watch a neighbor's kid, check in on those neighbors, drop some food off once now, see how they're doing, uh, figure out if people need rides somewhere, just be part of that community aspect uh, that is, uh, you know, more of a front porch community, creating that identification around, look, I am part of the solution. You know, I am prevention. That's this year. We just I love that. Isn't it cool? I mean, it's like because you can do these things. And so you do them every day. And if you connect uh, with your neighbors, you are that prevention factor. So this year uh, we're doing hashtag I am prevention. And we are also basing it around this idea that when you become that factor, what you actually create is space for family joy, which this is not something I thought of. Uh, Leah Moran from New Hampshire Healthy Families had said this on a podcast um, where she said that's the whole point of home visiting. So we want to really center on creating spaces for joy, knowing that when you do that, you temporarily allow for stressors to decrease and resilience and resources to increase. And in that space, good things happen. I love that. I love that. I'm excited. Can't wait to see what you got up your sleeve. Well, I am graying fast and my stressors, that's why I'm asking. <laughs> Do you need me to walk your dog? Oh Nathan? my gosh. I need you to walk me. Oh my God. But um, yeah, I'm excited for this too. And, and it should be a really great, um, great year. And a lot of family serving organizations, the state, you know, private, um, they're coming out of the woodwork. Even we, you know, built out this businesses that build family campaigns. So we've got a lot of people talking about it from the lens of how they create businesses that are family friendly and what that means. So I would say keep your eyes out and uh, visit the website. Will do. Thanks. So Jolyn, it's it's awesome to see you. I'm so glad you're back. And um, I am going to be on the dark web looking for more family secrets. Excellent. I'm uh, glad to see me too. And when we come back, I interview Anthony Payton, father, author, and nonprofit founder. Don't go anywhere. Many thanks to New Hampshire's Office of Social and Emotional Wellness for sponsoring this podcast. Started within New Hampshire's Department of Education, the Office of Social and Emotional Wellness consolidates policy development and implements projects and programs that are focused on health and wellness with an emphasis on behavioral health of all students, youth, and families. To learn more about the Department of Education and its many programs and approaches, visit www.education.nh.gov. Today's show was also brought to you by Merrimack County Savings Bank, who proudly supports the mission and efforts of New Hampshire Children's Trust. Founded in 1867, Merrimack has served people, businesses, nonprofits, and municipalities in central and southern New Hampshire for over 155 years by treating everyone with care, respect, and compassion. Visit your local offices in Bow, Concord, Kentuckook, Hooksett, and Nashua, or go to www.themerrimack.com. 
New Hampshire Family Now is a proud participant in the Your Voice campaign. Together, the Parent Information Center, New Hampshire Family Voices, and New Hampshire Children's Trust have launched a statewide campaign dedicated to celebrating the critical role Family Voice plays in shaping services and systems throughout the Granite State. Because questions families ask and the information they share often makes a difference in understanding a diagnosis, building an effective treatment plan, and informing the services they use every day. To learn more about the campaign, go to nhchildrenstrust.org backslash your voice or picnh.org backslash your voice. Hello and welcome to the pod. Today, I'm incredibly excited to welcome Anthony Payton, author, podcast host, dad, aspiring nonprofit founder, and so much more. Anthony, welcome to the show. Hey, Nathan. Thank you for having me. So a few weeks ago, I came across your 603 diversity essay, Mental Health, the Common Denominator. And I got to say, I was immediately taken by the grace of your prose. And so I started digging and found essay after essay after essay, all of them vulnerable and beautifully rendered with titles, including own worst enemy. I'm a father indoors, mostly domesticated, if you will. Stay tuned. This comeback story is just beginning. And immediately I thought back to that mental health essay I first read where you discuss being a cook at the Cypress Center, a short term care facility for those experiencing psychiatric emergency. Given that this is in many ways a comeback story, where are we coming back from? Well, me in particular, um, I recently and I'm pretty you know, open and candid about my past. So I'm coming back from a nearly seven year federal incarceration. I think I just passed the two year mark of being completely out. So for me, that comeback was dealing with all the trials and tribulations that I went through during that period. Also, the growth and the trajectory that I happen to be on right now. And so it's just coming back from um, the, the a bottomless you know, abyss to, to a certain extent that I made the most of. Dealing with that population there kind of like runs hand in hand. Yeah. Given your life experiences, how have you come to writing as an essayist, as a way to maybe process what has happened and give yourself and others a way to grow from it? Why do this? See, writing, I've always loved writing ever since I, I was small, like, you know, as a young introvert growing up in the projects of Brooklyn, New York. And throughout incarceration, it felt as if it were therapeutic. You know, it kept me out of the way. Um, I've always had teachers and college professors, you know, like, yeah, you're a very good writer. You need to do something with it. But it also paints my story. And, you know, in painting my story, I'm finding out that I lay the, that I'm laying a canvas for tons of people, you know, who have been through similar experiences, who have been through trauma, post-traumatic stress disorders and, and things along those lines. So I think I've reached a great amount of people. It's, it's good for my soul when I'm able to touch people, when I'm able to share my story and have it help them, possibly help them or give them some type of uh, navigation. How did you then come to find yourself up in New Hampshire working in and around Manchester? I was in Rhode Island first and then I left New York and went to Rhode Island for, you know, to visit friends. And they had friends that were up here in New Hampshire. Back then, I was a very big risk taker. I made some poor decisions, which landed me as a as a resident in New Hampshire State Prison. And then uh, I got out and I began to make a life for myself. To be quite honest, growing up in, in Brooklyn, New York is one thing, but to then be in New Hampshire and um, taking in northern New England for all that it has, you know, it's been a learning experience as well. So, well, in, in one of your essays, I came across what felt like a series of mantras, which were very powerful to me. And I would love for you to expound on them a little bit. Right. Never settle into the mindset that you're owed anything. You don't 
you don't want to feel like you're owed anything because you, you'll tend to sit on your heels instead of being assertive and, try, and trying to ascertain goals and deadlines. It, in my opinion, it just puts you in a position to where you're waiting for something and you have this chip on your shoulder and that chip in your, on your shoulder can cloud vision and cloud judgment. So I, I believe that when you remove those things, you have more clarity. And, you know, this doesn't isn't just for black people or black youth. It, it goes to anyone who's been wronged or, or who was a victim in some sense. You know, justice may not come in the form of anything monetarily or the person who wronged you going to prison or, or even an apology. So, you know, if, if something comes comes along the lines in terms of retribution and fine, but don't wait on it. Include yourself, but be inclusive of others. Right. That's that's very big because. I think I described how sometimes we tend to complain that we're not we we weren't offered a seat at the table. And so my mind frame is like, look, we have to find out where those tables are. You know, like, let's say they're government auctions, you know, that you can buy, you know, property and, and vehicles and stuff for pennies on a dollar. You know, you have to find out where those auctions are. You have to attend that seminar on wealth building where the rest of the audience may not look like you. So as you become accustomed to doing those things and, and bring others with you as well. And again, it's not just a black thing either, even though I, that's who, for the most part, I'm speaking to. But, you know, it goes to anyone that's marginalized. You know, you can take the single white mother who lives, you know, in the hills of North Conway. You know, I've been up that way and she may not be privy to where these auctions and things like that are. Ex-military veterans, the same mentality applies. It's like we have to go out and seek what's not readily available to us. And of course, it's not fair or things like that. But it's just, you know, you have to have that go button to actually find it. So include yourself, like get in the mix of it. Last one. Aspire to be the leader and uplifting citizen that you have the potential to be. That kind of goes into like leading by example. You have to be able to cut off generations of of nonsense. You may watch your uncle or your father and, and things like that go through things that you don't want to go through. So it's on your shoulders to live a different life or to move a different way and help build your communities up because you may be, maybe you didn't have a good role model, but that doesn't mean that you can't be a good role model. You know, and, and great nations, they aren't built by complacency or, or by being selfish. It's, it's just that part on giving and that would make you a great leader and help build your communities. Now, I know you are a father, as, I'm, as am I. And when I see this list, I desperately want all of these things for my children. How do you go about teaching these things to yours? Every time I step out of my comfort zone and push myself, I need them to know about it and see it, <laughs> you know, and it's not um, it's not in a narcissistic type of, you know, like, look at me. But it's like, look, you know, dad isn't just talking and preaching. No, I'm out here doing it. You know, even when I went to Franklin Pierce and, you know, was on a stage and, you know, live audience, like that's way outside of my comfort zone, you know, but I'm always uh, preached to try to talk to the kids about, you know, you don't grow unless you get out of that comfort zone. That's one of the biggest ways that I, I teach my kids. And even, you know, the life that I live now, my youngest daughter doesn't know the whole scope of it, but at some point she will. And, I can still use these times as a point of reference. Basically, you know, to answer the question, it's doing it, you know, talking it, you know, talking it and walking it, you know, so. Yeah. Now, th this might be silly, but how do you teach these things to yourself? That's another good question. Um, well, I continue to learn 
and study some of the greats, the greats in my book. I grew up one housing projects away from um, Jay-Z and to um, see what he's been through and to see where he's, he now is, that's inspiring. And it isn't just men and women on that level, you know, the brave firefighter or the military veteran. There's a lot to be learned from those guys, those men and women, um, school teachers and nurses. You, like, you know, the Cypress Center, you know, those, you know, a lot of those nurses and counselors in it, they're, they're very selfless. You know, they stay up long hours and come in early in the morning. And, you know, so I try to keep a wide array of influences and just get that stimulus from everywhere. Now, you two have launched a podcast called the Common Ground Initiative, which you write aims to highlight the diversity of our communities with stories of people the average Granite Stater might not get to see. And I want to take a moment to play a brief section from an essay called The View from Outside My Comfort Zone. My oldest stepson, Terrell Wedded, gets plenty of time on my social media feeds. Terrell is one of the most colorful young men that I know, comfortable in his truth, comfortable in his skin. I came into Terrell's life when he was about 12 years old, when his mother and I first met. I never tried to take on the role of dad with him or his younger brother, Tavon. As time went on, my duty was to provide some guidance and protect them from the world as best I could. Back then, I knew Terrell would be unique but different. He seemed to be gender fluid before the term ever became popular. He was just a preteen. Now, in this essay, you talk about your role as a stepfather to a gender fluid stepson by a role modeling, guiding and protecting. And then how that intersects with having been raised in a hyper masculine environment. And you address evolving to meet this child in your care where he's at. Do you have any advice for fathers out there on that evolution and process so we can all be more supportive of our children no matter where they wind up? Right. So I... I implore guys who are like myself or, or who are struggling with that question to really just remember that tomorrow isn't promised, you know, and look at our world right now. You know, we need to be we need to be raising young men to be confident and strong. And the look of confident and strong doesn't necessarily have to be the muscle bound kid who knows MMA. You know, he might be gender fluid. But if he still has those good goals and, and, and being raised the right way, I think they'll be they'll be fine. So it's just on trying to like, you know, you know, as men and as fathers, sometimes we have to recalibrate and we have to recalibrate a little bit. It differs on how we were raised. It's just sitting back and watching that child grow into him. You're, you're molding. You're trying to mold greatness. And sometimes molding, you know, it doesn't take you to actually make that shape like the shape will form itself and your input is strong and it's powerful and just be mindful again like i said i can't because it it took me being removed from society to really appreciate him in his entirety Uh, again just remember you know tomorrow is not promised you know who knows what's going to happen you know the way this world is moving now so be supportive you know at at the end of the day all you have left is memories and, you know, did I do enough? Did I do a good enough of a job? And that was, those are some of the things that helped change me. I, um, I keep thinking of Dwayne Wade. I look at him and his response to his youngest son and the incredible individual his son has right. become. That's a perfect example of, of being supportive. You know, and even Ma- I think uh, Magic Johnson probably to an extent, too. 
you know, he's a, he comes from like a little older school, but um, D Wade is definitely a, a, a great example of, you know, supporting that young child. Now, I know you will be launching a nonprofit. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about that, what you will be trying to accomplish with it and how somebody can get involved? Right. So our um, nonprofit is called the Boss Initiative, the next chapter. And Boss is an acronym for beating the odds and striving for success. The co-founders is um, Anthony Harris, who many people know here in Manchester as he ran for Alderman. Antonio Maven, who's in Nashua. And my brother, Chris Payton, who's in New York. Our goal is to help men and women walk that path from prison to prosperity. And we're doing everything from job training to job placement. We're looking to implement mental health and affordable housing. You know, at some point that's on our list. And, you know, and just that good old peer to peer conversations, peer to peer counseling, peer to peer helping navigate, you know, muddy waters. You know, so that's our goal. And that's what we look is to help bring down the recidivism rate because it's, it's astronomical. We just hope that the community is supportive of our endeavor. You know, there's not too many people who want to tackle this issue outside of the, you know, the government with halfway houses and stuff like that. But it still has to go to different points because I feel like myself and, you know, Anthony Harris and Antonio Maven, like we're those success stories that people want that should want to know about, you know, because there's so many like, you know, you hear the, the guy on parole that just stuck up and robbed the bank and, and things like that. And that does happen. But there is another side to that. You know, there are plenty of successful men and women who are on that right path, who are living the right lives and um, doing what they need to do to help better their families and help better their community. So we just want people to keep their eyes and ears open and hearts and minds open as well. Well, you let me know that Children's Trust is deeply invested in making sure that families, no matter what they look like, uh, be successful and thrive. So I'd love to align our efforts wherever we can. Thank you, Nathan. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. I'm glad we made this connection. To learn more about Anthony, his writings, and the Common Ground Initiative, visit collaborativenh.org backslash common ground initiative. Again, that's collaborativenh.org backslash common ground initiative. And it's because of my relationship with him that I'm able to look at his community from a different perspective. Watching him excel in college, at his job, in his music, and in his life has shown me that manhood can be manifested the way that it suits the individual. It's his life, and I'm glad to be a part of it. If there are any men out there raising young boys like Terrell was, I implore you to begin the process of accepting and supporting them. Your idea of masculinity may manifest differently from his. Don't give up on him. Don't miss out on the opportunity to watch a young boy turn into a great man. I've never met Terrell's biological father, but if he's reading this, I'll say to him, thank you. Many thanks to the Samuel P. Hunt Foundation for sponsoring this podcast. Established in 1951, Samuel P. Hunt Foundation is a Manchester-based, independent nonprofit that provides grants primarily for the arts, children and youth services, faith-based organizations, educational institutions, healthcare, and human services. New Hampshire Family Now is listed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or ask your smart speaker to play New Hampshire Family Now. 